Hey guys, Pastor Josh here, God Peace Center Ministries. I just want to thank you for, um, I guess, taking the time to check out this following sermon that was preached on July 4th, um, 2021. As a message is just stirring in my heart to preach as a message of a reminder, a revelation for people, and that is on God's grace. And, you know, one of the things that you'll hear me hit on in this message is, is that God's grace doesn't give us freedom um, to sin, that God's grace um, is a... I guess, a display of, of how holy and good that he is, and which then in return shows us how sinful we are. And the more that we um, realize that, and the more that we exalt him up, and the more that um, we see how undeserving we are of his love, the bigger the chasm, chasm of his grace uh, begins to show for us, and how it's actually through um, giving our lives to the Lord in relationship, stepping into the yoke of Jesus Christ as we uh, go through in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, um, that we make him Lord of our life, not just Savior, and that we repent, um, which is a sign of, of true faith. And, you know, in the book of Acts, Jesus is referred to as Savior twice, but he's referred to as Lord 99 times. So um, now I, I just, I, I pray that this message um, hits you well. I pray that it's received well. Um, and if you're an individual that is listening to this message and you feel stirred, you feel like the Lord has revealed himself to you, I pray that you repent, you cry out for his mercy, and give your life to him, and allow him to not just be Savior, but Lord over your life. Thank you guys. Enjoy the message. God bless. All right, so I'm going to have you guys, if you didn't get the midweek update message, which some of you in here did not, and I extremely apologize for that, Chris Ash. So, um, she reminded me, she's like, you didn't send me the message and her mom had to forward it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. So we're going to veer off from the Church in Corinth series today. And it'll be the first time I know. Oh, look at your faces. We've been in it since like, I think, April 18th. But there's a reason why. There's a reason why. Not just because your pastor said so, but I just felt stirred by the Holy Spirit this last week to preach a message that, like I said, can either be seen as a, as a reminder um, for many of you or even maybe a message of, of revelation for some of you. And it is the message that, as we saw in, in being in the Church in Corinth series, it's the foundation of which every church should operate from. And that is the message of Christ crucified. It is the message of the gospel. And I've, I've heard the saying before that good preaching is reminding Christians who they are in Christ. Amen? So I want this to be a message for you guys today that is either one that, once again, is a reminder because we're told in 2 Corinthians, I believe, 13.5 that we're called to even examine ourselves in the faith to see if Jesus Christ is still in us. All right? That we encounter and that we go through things in life that we tend to condemn ourselves over and we struggle with. We, we struggle with trying to do things in our own will and our own might. We ask those questions to ourselves a lot too, like, why can't I just do this more? Why is it that I continue to do these things? I know that there are marriages in here that are in a place of struggle right now as well. So I'm going to preach and teach to the individual, but I want to make sure that the individual that's hearing the message understands the significance of how that as an individual goes into the message of the one flesh component of marriage as well. 
And then we're even going to go into and talking about the fruits of the Spirit out of Galatians 5, because many of you maybe have been to marriage counseling, maybe many of you have gone to marriage seminars, but if you want the best marriage counseling material, one could just go to Galatians 5 and look at the fruits of the Spirit, and we all could attest and say that if we operated from those fruits, that every marriage would seem that much easier. Amen? So, I'm going to have you guys open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to do something different here at the end of this message. When I am done preaching, I'm going to give an opportunity for you guys. And I, I believe during this message, some butts are going to squirm in the pew. The conviction will be good. But I spoke it to Jamie this morning, and I say it to you guys, and many of you heard me say that, that the Holy Spirit that gives us conviction is the same Holy Spirit that wraps his arms around us and reminds us that we're forgiven. That is the operation of God's grace in our life. That the same Holy Spirit that gives you that discernment and that conviction about the sin in your life, the shortcomings of your life, the, thing, the, the feeling that you just know you're not doing what you should be doing, that you've, in a sense, become a little wayward in what you're doing and how you're acting in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of how you are at work, whatever. The same spirit that brings about that conviction is the same spirit that wraps his arms around you and you feel his grace immediately to continue to press on towards the mark that's been laid out in front of you. Okay? And I want to make sure that at the end of the message, now you guys know I don't do a lot of altar calls, and I'm not going to stand up here, and I'm not, I'm not condemning altar calls. I'm not. I'm not vilifying them whatsoever. But what I am going to do is I am going to give you guys an opportunity that butts that are squirming today maybe are butts that get lifted up out of the pews and come up front. We're going to give you guys some time at the end of service just to pray and cry out to the Lord and ask for his mercy and to give him thanks and glory for the grace that he's given you. Because many of you sitting here maybe just struggle with the comprehension of God's grace in your life. And I want to do my best as a pastor through the power of the Holy Spirit to give you that imagery of what God's grace is to you. Because guess what? You are saved by His grace and grace alone. By His grace. Which means there is nothing you could do to be saved. There is nothing you could bring to Him to be saved. Nothing. And that's beautiful news for us as Christians, for those who believe. And we struggle. And when we operate from that viewpoint, you guys will start to see maybe a change taking place in your lives. But it's by grace, through faith. And we're going to discuss what faith looks like as well. So we understand and recognize God's grace. We're going to see then what faith looks like as a Christian. The saving faith, not the dead faith. And that there's actually peace found in the grace and the faith of Jesus Christ. And many of you sit in here amongst your marriages, amongst life, beating yourself up over and over again for acting in ways that's not in God's peace in your life. You're struggling in your marriage. You're struggling with how relationships are. But these are all elements that are components of sin, which is the very thing that God wants to speak and preach to you through His Spirit that you've been freed from the bondage of. So we're going to dive into that today. So in Ephesians chapter 2, are we all there? Yes. I'm going to stick to the, the way that I do things here and going verse to verse, but we're going to go 2, 1 through 10, and we're going to unpackage these verses together. 
All right, so a little bit of context with Ephesians. I like to give you guys that, as you know. Is it similar to that of Colossians where there was a lot of Gnosticism, like secret knowledge and all this, this people that just thought that they were very knowledgeable and things, but there's also this Judaizer mentality going on as well, that you had to do certain things to show that you were something, right? Some of you struggle with that mindset even today, right? I don't feel like a Christian because I don't do this. I don't, I don't feel good or I feel like I have to fill my head with all this knowledge of something to show that I'm this. Ephesians and Colossians, the Bible in general, the Bible points to Jesus Christ, but this book in particular is going to point and tell you who you are in Jesus and how supreme he is. And how that when we fall under and into his yoke, what identity we now carry, because that's the true identity that you have as children of God. And it's in those identities that we truly find peace. Because where your heart's tied to, usually your identity is tied to as well. If you're obsessed with your job, guess what? That's how you see yourself. I'm this person. If you're obsessed with an activity or, or a hobby, that's where your heart seems to be tied to. That's what your identity is tied to. And you could be missing the mark of where Jesus is calling you to be and where to operate from. And here's the beauty of it. That is where peace is found. Not in the things of the world. Not in the identities of the world. And what is my proof, church? My proof is, as you are watching my lips move, you sit in these pews without peace. You struggle. I know this. I'm your pastor. If you haven't told me, guess what? Probably someone in your family has. I just threw them under the bus. How's that sound? I'm your pastor. And I have to stand up here and preach this truth to you. So we have context. The table's been set. Made alive in Christ. Chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So right out the gate, Paul starts off by saying, you are dead in your sins and transgressions. I've asked you guys this question. I'm going to ask it again. How much can a dead person do? Dave, how much have you seen a dead person do? Not a lot. Not a lot. Rick, Don, not a lot. Jamie, not a lot. Just pretty much decomposed. There you go. Dead in your sins and transgressions. Sin here, which is being used. And I got, guys, I want to give you this imagery of what sin is. Okay? God has a righteousness to him. Okay? So I'm holding up my arm because this is the righteousness of God. Not my arm literally, but just stick with me here in the, in the analogy. Okay? When we have veered away from this standard of righteousness, which we all have, we all will at some point. But when we were disobedient and of the world, we weren't even around here. Jamie, you gave the perfect analogy. I was here and God was here. When you set away from this standard of righteousness, you're living in sin. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I, we're going to make some things click here to you guys today. When he died on the cross for you, he died as the curse, which means he died living a perfect, sinless life, even while being tempted. 
So when he died, and in the fashion in which he died, it would be deemed as righteous to God. He was a blemish-free sacrifice. So for those who believe in him, guess what happens to that righteousness now of Jesus Christ? Because you and I can't do anything to stay within this standard. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, Jew, Greek, black, white, man, woman, child, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone that that righteousness is now imputed upon us like garments that make us in right standing with God. Chris, there's nothing you could do. Don, Samantha, there's nothing you could do. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. I gave you guys the analogy before. If some of you heard a gospel that said that you were like this really sick person, and the gospel was this medicine that, that someone had to put to your mouth because you were so weak that you couldn't hold the spoon, and they gave you this medicine and you felt better, that's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. You were laying dead on the bottom of the lake. Dead. And the Holy Spirit dove down into the bottom of that lake and breathed new life in you. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Are we starting to get the picture of grace here? This standard that's been set by God in his holy nature. Guys, the more that you start to realize how much of a sinner you are, the bigger God just seems to be. The more that you realize how much of a screw-up you are, the bigger the chasm of God's grace starts to become. And we struggle with that. We struggle with thinking, like, I need to do this to be this. No, that's not what this story is about. But Paul goes into a deeper part here because it's even more beautiful news. He's reminding us and saying that we used to live in a way that followed the ways of this world. You guys know the world very well. Open up your phones. Watch the news. The world is everywhere. The world's not going to change, church. There's nothing new under the sun. The, the things that you read on the news, the things that we even see going on in the church, the devil just put on a different outfit. It's the same person at play. Right? It's just fallenness. And I'm going to go into that a little bit more too in a, in a little bit. Of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Who do you guys think the ruler of the kingdom of the air is? Satan. There's a devil. I'm going to say it again. If you're a Christian and you don't believe in the devil, he's sifting you like wheat, as Jesus said to Peter. If you think that you're strong enough in your own might to be this good enough Christian to where you don't need fellowship, you don't need prayer, you don't need God's word, He's already sifting you like wheat. You're no match for him. And some of you, many of you, once again, what's my proof? You guys are. You've tried. I keep screwing up. I keep feeling beaten down. I, I feel like I just come into church to get this over or this, this rejuvenation, which isn't bad, but Lord, shouldn't I be living in a sense of overflow right now? Shouldn't I be living in a sense of peace? Yes, child, you should be. 
Let's walk into that piece. Let's see what that looks like. It says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, once again, what Paul's wanting to emphasize here, and, and once again, it was being spoken about back then, and it's still the way that we are today. How many of you would agree that we live in a me-centered culture? Yes. We have an app called Facebook. It's us and what we're thinking being broadcasted to everyone else. And how many of you would say Facebook, for lack of a better term, is of the devil? I would say that. And I'm not trying to sound too overbearing, but I've heard too many relationships fall because of an app. But I'm not here to talk about an app. I know that this is just another ploy in a way of the world. It's a trick from the devil. Remove Facebook. Let's just think about our own hearts and our own lives. We live and operate in a function that's trying to gratify our own flesh. We want things to be fulfilled for us, even in the way that we argue with people, right? And this isn't about being soft. This isn't about being a wimp. This is about giving God glory. My wife just gave you guys a story about 11 years of eating humble pie. I'm a stepdad to four amazing kids. You have to live in humility if you want that to work. And it isn't by my power. I'd have been burned out years ago. It's by the power of God. Simply by the power of God. Like the rest, remember the standard here, guys. We were by nature deserving of wrath. By nature. Now, people struggle with this. You guys recall in Genesis 3 that the fall of man. Sin was brought into existence by the disobedience of man. That's our nature. We're hardwired with sin. We also act as a way in our lives to prove that we're hardwired with such sin. And I've, I've used this analogy because it's one of my favorites that I heard a pastor once use. We see babies when they're crying and we think, oh, they're so beautiful. They're these beautiful little angels. And we, we know that babies cry because once again, what are they doing? They want something to gratify their flesh. They have needs. And this pastor once said, do you guys say angel? I say that's a viper in a diaper. And I just lost it because I'm like, yes, that's babies. Like, I love them. They're cute. But man, they don't shut up sometimes and they cry and they scream and their faces get all weird and cringly and they contort. It's sin in us, even if it's displayed in this simplest form. That's sin. But once again, what's my proof? Not only were we created with that nature about us because of Adam, but we operate and live lives that prove it as such. Not just talking about these horrific things that you and I have experienced in life, these things that watch us to tick us off. Pastor's right, there is sin. Look at those morons on the news. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about 
what's been in here? Jesus does a beautiful job in expressing that, right? You've heard it said, thou shall not murder. Thou shall not hate. Thou shall not commit adultery. But I say, see, he didn't do away with the law. He came and fulfilled it. He preached it to a level in a way that was far deeper than any of us could understand. How many of you hold anger in your heart today? How many of you have committed adultery? How many of you struggle with addiction? See, Jesus brought it to a level that sometimes we forget about even as a church. This is a heart game here. It's a heart game. As a man that grew up in the city, I'm mixed and all that, and you hear about these things, these social things with racism and all that. I've learned as a Christian that if I wanted to truly attack the root of racism, that I got to preach to the individual's heart. Because racism to me isn't a social thing. It's a sin thing. God's allowed me to see it as such. But here's the other thing. Your lust, your addiction, are not social things. It's an element of sin, of fallen nature. And we're going to go into that here in a little bit. So we have an idea of the righteousness of the standard so in comparison, we were by nature deserving of wrath, this punishment, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, did he make us better people? Did he make you a better husband, a better wife? Did he make you a better mom, a better friend? What did he do, church? Did Jesus come to make us better people? He came to bring dead people to what? To life. Was there anything you did? Was there anything I did? My heart was quickened this week by another individual that said, you know, when you ask a person how they know they're going to go into heaven, you can determine a lot of where their heart's parked at, not in saying that they're saved or not saved, but just where their heart's parked at in operating from God's grace through faith is, is that how do you know you're saved and you're going to go to heaven if they answer in the first person or the third person? So if you guys come up to me and you say, Josh, how do you know that you're saved? If I start the response off by going, well, I did this. I said that. I live like this. For 11 years, I ate humble pie and did this. I have white hairs in my beard because I've been doing this for so long. If I answer like that, or you answer me like that, I'm going to get an idea that maybe your heart is parked in a place of burden. Because here's how you should answer. I know that I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. That's it. I know that I'm going to heaven because I knew and found out in my life that I couldn't save myself. I knew that there was a point in my life that God unveiled my eyes to the sin in my life before I started to look at the sin of everyone else's life. And I saw the world for the way that it was. And most importantly, I saw myself for the way that I was. 
And the beauty in that was, was I saw how holy God was. And even more beauty in that is, is I understand now the grace that God has in my life. The chasm of who God is and his love for me is just opened up in a way that I've never experienced because I used to think that Jesus died just to make my life easier. I used to think that Jesus died to make my marriage better, to make me nicer to my kids so I didn't slap them as much. He didn't die for you for that. If you think that he did, I guarantee you live a life right now where you feel burdened because you keep doing the same things that you've always done or you don't have peace. And chances are, if you're doing the things that you've always done, you don't have peace. Amen? Because you're still acting in a way of the world that's of the flesh, that's operating in sin, that brings about wrath and no peace. When Jesus is sitting here saying, the only thing that I've asked you to do, if anything, is give up. But Paul even goes on to emphasize this to a deeper level, and it hit me like a ton of bricks because I'm like, this church needs to hear this. The church of the West needs to hear this. And I pray that pastors wake up and preach this message because this is the message which all churches are called to operate from. The foundation that's been laid. That's Christ crucified. Which when you say Christ crucified, guess what else you're saying? Christ resurrected. And everything that comes with that. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what that you've been saved? Grace. It's by what? Grace. Is it by any work that you've done? Is it by some emotional or spiritual experience that you've had? by grace. Guys, this goes throughout scriptures. I'm not just picking and proof texting here. Go to Titus. Go to I mean, this is this is for many of you should be a game changer in how you see your faith and allow you to as it says in 2 Corinthians 13:5, examine to see if you're in it. Because if you're operating from a way to think that Jesus just saved me, that God just saved me based on how I did this or how I say this, or because I got dipped here with this and I was dunked in this lake because... No. The beautiful news of it is you can't do anything. My favorite Christmas carol is The Little Drummer Boy. I cry almost every time I hear that song. What did he bring to baby Jesus? Brought no, you didn't have anything. I just I got a song I can sing. Fine, whatever. I love that. Some of you think that you have to be a certain way to even show up to church. I'm fighting in my marriage. I about kicked my spouse out last night. I yelled at a kid this morning. I'm back in my addiction. I'm not going to church. The devil's just standing there smiling. I just make them think that it's about more than what it really is. Guys, we have to keep the main thing the main thing when it comes to our faith as Christians, and that is grace. 
through faith in Jesus Christ, by the works of Jesus Christ, not by ours. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We so often think about this, and I'm going to use a nerdy pastor word, and I'm going to explain it to you in this eschatological way, this end times thing, right? That, that we are going to be with Jesus in this way and, this, and all that. Yes, we are. But when you read what Paul just said, he seated us. Do you know that you now, here on earth, in the body, are reigning with Jesus Christ even right now? Oh, there's a promise, as we re we're going to come across in Corinthians, that Jesus being resurrected, the firstborn of those who have died, he's the, the one of the harvest, like the comparison. We go, okay, this is, this is what the harvest is going to look like. Jesus and, and all of his glory and all of his beauty, this is what we're going to be associated with, who we're going to be associated with. That's the hope that we're called to have as Christians. And it's a beautiful hope. Because I know that when I look fully upon the face of Jesus Christ, that all the things of the world just seem to grow strangely dim. Right? If my focus is on him as a husband, I'll be what I need to be to my wife. And guess what the beauty of that is? My kids witness it. And this is what this passage is even sitting here saying too when, he go, when we're going to go back here. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are trophies of God's grace. To who? To the world around us. To who? To our children. 11 years, and I go back to this because I give God glory. Parents, married couples, I even say individuals, you will have days where you feel like it's all for nothing. And some of you sit here right now, I know as a husband, I love my wife. I adore my wife. My wife can drive me nuts. And I'm even saying that while this is recording. But God gives us those moments and those times where we get to step back and we get to watch and witness the mercies and the glories of His grace. Eleven years. We'll have to go another eleven years, I'm sure. And more. We got to sit with Mariah's family on, on her dad's side and just have a good time. We had people come up, her grandma, her great-grandma giving me a hug. Her grandma rubbing my face. I don't know if I like your white beard. Well, kids will do that to you. Having Des and Dax witnesses, having them witnesses and go, go say hi to Grandma Bonnie. Des asked me yesterday, right? She goes, is Wilhelmina my cousin? Yeah, she's your cousin. She's family. We are trophies of his grace to the unbelieving world. I sat and told my wife this morning because, you know, we, we can struggle with people sometimes. That's an understatement. 
I looked at her and I said, babe, because she wants to sit there and point like, you know, she's like, oh, people are saying, Josh, you do that. I said, Jelaine, my goal and my job as your husband is to lead well. And what does that look like? It's the name of this church. It's agape love. It's the greatest love there is, and it's sacrificial. It means I have to sacrifice my pride for something bigger than me. My faith is founded on the fact that there is a God who loves me more than my sin identifies me as. There's a God whose grace, who is bigger at bestowing grace to me than any sin that I've committed in my life. And when you operate in that truth, you become this trophy of his grace to the world around you. But he tells you why that is. It says in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I'm going to unpack this. This little section of Ephesians 2 will pretty much summarize all of Romans for you guys. Verse 8 starts off by saying, it is for by grace you have been saved. Period. If some of you have come to the Lord or confessed your faith, or confessed to the Lord that you believe that Jesus is Lord and all that, there's a faith that comes along with that confession. And we're going to talk about what that faith looks like. But it says, through grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Do you guys understand and know that all of salvation completely belongs to God and God alone? If you want to find a passage in scripture that that exemplifies this, that proves this, look no further because this is it. Paul is even simply saying that when you come to that moment where you recognize who you are, which then helps you recognize who God is, and you've seen that grace and you have felt that grace come upon you, that the faith that you are given is actually a gift from God himself. That God's faith is a gift. All of salvation belongs to God. All of it. You can't muster up enough faith. We, we have people that do it all the time, and there's a way to prove that. If this is a faith that's alive or a faith that's dead... How many of you remember me preaching on the parable of the sower? The seed, the word going out. Yeah, some of those seeds catch root, but some of those roots are uprooted real quickly. Jesus even says in the word, is the perfecter of our faith. He begins good works, and guess what he does? He finishes and completes those good works. Some of you know people who seem to be excited about Jesus Christ for a couple months. Maybe they were going to church. Maybe a spouse of yours got excited, felt something emotionally. We read about it in Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth what's already evident in your heart. Believe with your heart. Paul's not saying with your heart to believe in your emotions. This isn't like a boys to men song. This is that your heart is completely everything with inside of you. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord has just revealed himself to you. 
Your eyes have been unveiled. You have been breathed life into you. You know when you've become saved, that moment. And in that moment, you then do what? You confess. Mark 1.15, what does he call for us to do? Repent and have faith. That's a part of faith as well. So remember, we've been saved by grace through faith. What does this faith look like? It's not a dead faith, James 2.14, right? People sit there and say, well, look at the things that I'm doing. I, I can show you that I'll be saved because of what I'm doing. No, works are not a matter of to get saved. Works are simply a matter to show what? That you are saved. It just says it right here. It says that you are actually, you were created to, or saved to do good works, but you're not saved because of the works that you do. Why? So you don't go around boasting about how awesome of a person you are. So I don't go around to you and go, look, 11 years, church, 11 years, look at what I've done. Look at the hair on my face. Look at the things that I've done for the Lord. I'm saved. No. Josh, how do you know you were saved? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I realize and see the grace in my life, and through that understanding of his grace, the power that's working in me, there's a faith that grows from that, a faith that's alive. And in that faith, I now want to, let's say, show the world of my repentance of sin. So what do I do? My remission of sin. I go and I get dipped in some water. But guess what? The Holy Spirit has cleansed me with the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I am being transformed and sanctified and, tr and changed into a new creation. What does all of this even mean? It means that if you first and foremost don't understand the grace in your life by God, that the faith that you think you have is going to get uprooted and torn away. That you can't base this on emotional and spiritual experiences. You can't base this on who you were born to. You can't base this on the amount of Bible reading that you've done. You can't base it on any of that. There's nothing you can do. It's through God's grace and his grace alone. So I want you guys, as you're sitting in, in the pews right now, I want you guys to, to do something for me. I want you to, as you're, I'm not, I used to have people close their eyes. I'm not going to do that. I want you guys to look at me, but as you're watching my mouth move, I want you to think about, and it's not going to be easy, but there's a beauty in it because the Bible says, if you remember, if you guys recall the flood, right? That flood has a symbolic meaning to it as well. Not just literally something that happened. We, we believe as Christians that the flood took place, that, that God wiped away the earth and left eight individuals, okay? We believe that. When I sit there and say that the Bible, even in the Old Testament, points to Jesus, I want you guys to understand and know that that imagery is also what Jesus' blood did to your sins. He wiped them clean. But how many of you remember the sins that you've committed? This is where people can really evangelize incorrectly. Right? 
Rick and Don, God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to remember your sin. He doesn't want you to remember it. We can sit there and go, well, gosh, I remember it. I remember it quite often. Here's the beauty. God doesn't remember your sin to hold it accountable to you, but he allows you to remember it for a reason. He wants you to see, this is where his glory comes in, he wants you to see where he's brought you from to where you are now. Yeah, he's wiped them away. He's cast them far out, as far from the east as from the west. He's done that. He wants you to remember him for a reason, to give him glory, but also for your good. How's that for your good? Dave, if you stuck your hand in fire right now and walked away and forgot that you did it and saw another flame, how would your hand look at the end of the week? Make sense? So don't condemn yourselves for remembering your sin. But allow the Holy Spirit to govern it and to use it in a way to give God glory, but also for your benefit and good. That means, man, I remember last time I was hanging out with these people, we did some wild, stupid stuff. I got something inside of me. That's not just something. That's the Holy Spirit letting you know I need to move away and be away from this. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Man, I know last time my wife and I, we were doing this, talking about this, or every time I would go do this, it seemed to bring about problems. I just feel like something. That's the Lord just making you awake to your sin. Acknowledge it. You guys understand that you are children of a God that's so big and so good that even the bad things in your life he uses for good. I've heard people say, why do we have to go through bad stuff? How many of you wonder that? I do sometimes. God's so awesome and big and good that he quickened my heart to go, how do you even know that you want the good things? And I go, wait a minute. If I didn't go through those bad things, would the good things even have value? Think about that. Maybe if I, if I didn't go through this rough time in my life or have this thing take place in my life, which many of you know what I'm talking about right now, God's so good that he used that bad thing to feed into the value of the good because he's the creator of all. Right? We read about it in Genesis with Joseph and his brothers. What you may have done to intend to harm me, God took for good. That's how big and awesome he is. Some of you have gone through stuff in life, and this is where I want you guys to do this. I want you guys to think about right now, because I want you to get an understanding of his grace, because, guys, we are simply in the shop room awaiting the showroom of heaven. So this is a process. Yes, we become saved, but God sanctifies us daily. I want you guys to think about some of the worst things that's ever taken place in your life. Things that you fight with daily to try to wrestle away, if it be family, if it be parents, if it be abuse. Think about it. Think about people that have hurt you, people that have let you down. Think about people you've lost. Think about the way in which you've lost them. Now I want you to think about the things that you've done to people. I want you to think about the lies you've told, the hate you've harbored, 
the infidelity that you've had, the addictions that you don't break. Think about them. Visualize them. I want you guys to think about the last storm we had. The weather being corrupt and broke. I want you guys to think about the news stories that you can't break away from. If it becomes politics or a virus or a condo collapsing in Florida. I want you guys to remember the emotions that come along with that. Jesus Christ took that to the cross. He took all your bad experiences, your bad relationships, the stuff you even did as a kid. You're even being created in nature puts you in condemnation. He took that to the cross. Because of anything you did? No. When you start to see Jesus like that, God's grace becomes bigger and bigger. And it's through that grace, or by that grace, you develop a faith. And I'm going to have you guys just stay where you're at. I'm going to turn... Actually, I will. I'll have you guys go ahead and do this. We'll do this together. Go to the book of James. I'm going to have you guys go to chapter 2. And I know I have to speak this to people because we so often get lost in this. I want you guys to understand that our faith has an identity to it. It does. We, we can't just simply sit there and go, yep, I believe. Pastor Josh gave a phenomenal message and I believe in what he said. There's actually proof that you can tell when Paul says to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. He says that for a reason because guess what? There's actually a way that you can be assured of your salvation. It's because in, by grace, through faith, that there's actually something that's produced by that. This faith that God has given to us is a gift. starts off in verse 14, chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Now, people have used this to go, look, see, you have to do to be. It's not what James is saying here. It's not. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what, church? We just got done talking about dead. How much does dead do, church? Nothing. There's a way for us to tell to see what seed and what soil that seed had taken up in our lives. And it's okay to stop and to examine yourselves because the reason why this message is important is it might not be just a reminder for you guys. It might be a revelation for you as well. And I believe in the power of God's word. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that by speaking his word to you guys, maybe that have been dead to this message, that the Holy Spirit will awaken you and show you where you are right now. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what? By my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the devil or even the demons believe that. 
you shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Goes to the Old Testament here. Was it not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. How do you know a person is saved? How do you know the faith is there? They live it out in the fruits of their life. That's not Pastor Josh standing up here to make you guys feel horrible. It's Pastor Josh giving you the truth. Many of you sit in the pews today just thinking, up, oh, I believe. What does James say? Even the demons believe that. What makes you different from them? Guess what? Your faith needs to have fruit. It's supposed to have fruit. Why would it not have fruit? Husbands, wives, you say you love each other. Do you display that? Do you show it? And once again, I don't say it to, con to condemn you. I'm not saying it to restrict you. I'm conceding truth to you, as Paul says. Because here's the beauty of it. God being so good and rich in his mercy, he's letting you know that when you operate in the fruits of the Spirit, guess what it brings about? Sherry, do you remember what you told us? It brings about that beautiful P word. Peace. Oh my gosh, it just like keeps connecting itself. The word defends the word. If you're living in a fashion outside of the will of God, guess what? We're reminded in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff. Oh, it might hurt when it hits me, but it actually comforts me as well. I'm driving through the rain last week, can barely see five feet in front of me. Thank the Lord for stoplights that you can see. Many of you are living lives where you're driving any which way you want to through life, complaining that you still keep getting in accidents. God's law and all that stuff being laid out in front of you has actually, yes, not been just put there to show you how ungodly or unrighteous you are, but it's also been there to show you as well as we're told about that the laws are a lamp to my feet. They guide my steps. You're telling me that when I walk with you, I walk in peace. Yeah, because your peace is greater than any chaos that the world can bring me. That means I could have all this stuff going on around me, but as I'm walking down with you, I can't be touched. I could be afflicted with disease. I have peace of God inside of me. I could lose a loved one and I'll mourn. I will mourn hard, but I have your peace with me. I was abused as a child. I was left alone. I was abandoned. You're my dad. That's peace, church. And when we stop and we, we burden ourselves, I'm going to have you guys real quick. We're going to go to one more passage. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. You guys have heard this passage. And I'm, I'm going to, I got to hit on it real quick before we close out. Matthew 11. Twenty-eight through thirty. A very familiar passage. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take 
my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest. For your what? For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you guys understand? I'm going to give you context. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people here who thought that the law, because of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they had to keep doing all this stuff. They had to keep doing it. And what did they feel because of it? They felt burdened. They felt like a screw-up. You guys remember Jesus even referring to people as stiff-necked? You guys know what that means? Oxen, when they didn't want to take a yoke, you know what they would do? They'd just sit there, cling their neck up like this. So you try to put the yoke over them, they just sit there and do this, and they didn't want it. So he's referring to people as stiff-necked. He's referring to people that don't want to come under and into his yoke. But he's letting you and I know as a church that if we go into his yoke, that means when he goes left, which way do you go? When he goes right, which way do you go? When he goes forward, when he tells you to stop or even tells you to go backwards, where do you go? You do all those things because you are now identified with Jesus Christ in your marriage, in life. You're a Christian. Step into his yoke. Allow today, the 4th of July, 2021, to be a day that you either recommit to that understanding or give praise to God that he opened your eyes to this truth. That there's nothing that you can do and there's nothing you could have done. That he loves you and I that much that he pursued you and I to show us truth. When we read through, you guys don't have to turn there. I'm, I just I want to go through it real quick. And then once again, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to come up front. I feel like people have been shown, revealed, reminded as married couples, as single people, as employees, as whatever, that they've gotten this wrong. That they thought it was about this when, wait a minute, God's word actually says this. That's where freedom lies. You're identified through Jesus Christ. Not by what a family member said about you. Not about a divorce or three divorces. You're where you're at today. That's how much God loves you. What does he tell the woman that was caught in adultery? Go and do what no more? Sin. Doesn't mean you're going to go through this life be perfect. But it does mean you're going to go through this life knowing the perfect. And in knowing and believing in the perfect, guess what will automatically start to take place? You will have fruits that come about of that faith because you first understood and recognized the grace of God. So in Galatians 5, it's no secret here where it says freedom in Christ, we go down life by the Spirit says, we'll start off in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, married couples, if you're in here right now, I'm preaching to you and teaching to you. You want some easy marriage counseling? Pastor Josh is going to give it to you. 
and I'm going to send this to everyone that's not here right now, and hopefully they get it. Okay, so we've covered grace, we've covered faith, we've covered what that faith looks like when we've recognized the grace of God. We're not just operating here in just wordplay, like, oh, I believe, well, even the demons do that. Today is a day of salvation for some, but today is a day of also a reminder, a refresher, even a revelation for you guys as well that have been in the faith. You're still here, you're still breathing. Galatians 5.22, husbands, wives, people in general, What's the fruit of the Spirit? We all can agree and say that if we operate in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against such things there is no law. There is no law. We're operating in a place of peace and freedom. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Pastor Josh, if God's grace is so awesome, shouldn't I just be able to sin? So as grace abounds all that much more, Romans, that famous passage, by no means. Because you as a Christian who have said sin doesn't belong to me and no more, how can you live and operate in something that you have now declared being dead in your life? So don't try to pull that one. Pastor Josh, I got your message. Man, I wanted God's grace to really show I was out doing it up this week. Doesn't work that way. If you say sin is dead, you live in a manner and a way that expresses that. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys some time. Okay. And I'm not doing this to elicit emotions. You guys know me. I'm doing this just to have you guys just kind of calm your minds. I'm going to play a couple songs. I am praying. I'm going to pray out loud for you guys. Lord Jesus, I pray that hearts that have been open, Lord, eyes that have been unveiled, minds that have been affected, Lord, that those individuals that are sitting in the pews allow today to be a day of salvation for some, but a day of a reminder for others that they recommit themselves to your ways, Lord. That they understand and see that there's nothing that they could do in their life to bring salvation. That salvation belongs to you and you alone. And the faith that comes from that salvation is a gift from you as well. I pray that individuals come up here and they confess their sin, that they repent of their lifestyle, which means that they turn away from their sinful ways, Lord. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect, but it means that they recognize who you are, which in return recognizes who they are as well apart from you, which then gives them the identity of the grace that you bestowed on us, Lord. And it's in that grace and through the faith of Jesus Christ that we truly begin to walk in peace and we are trophies of that grace to the people around us, to our children, to our co-workers, to family members. I pray that people step into your grace, recognize it, Lord, and I pray for that gift of faith to be bestowed on them. Let today, July 4, 2021, be that day. It is in your name, Jesus Christ. All of these things are prayed. Amen.